Shaped by Brown, shaped by Brown, shaped by Brown, shaped by Brown. Ha ha ha. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Thank you for joining my health and fitness podcast. Today, we're on episode number 23. And I have an amazing guest for you today. This show is titled Sound by Brown. But before I get into my guest, please go to previously recorded podcasts on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and more. I'm your host, Sherelle Brown. I have a degree in exercise science with emphasis in biomechanics and kinesiology. And I've been in the game for over 21 years. So today, I have a very fascinating story for you from one of the top audio video directors in the land his name is von thornton von welcome my brother good morning good morning thank you for having me hey definitely welcome to the show i know we have a lot to go through and a lot of interesting information about you that the world would like to understand all right without further ado where are you currently residing at now well, uh, five years ago, I left my hometown of Detroit, Michigan, and I settled in the desert, Las Vegas, Nevada. Wow, Las Vegas, Nevada. Now, there are only two people that really are born and live in Nevada. Like, where are you actually from and where'd you grow up? Well, so I grew up in Highland Park, Michigan, which is a small city relative to Detroit and for those who are unfamiliar with the city of Detroit and its history. Uh, Highland Park started off as a suburb, but as the city of Detroit grew, it actually enveloped Highland Park and it continued to grow. So those of us who are native Highland Parkers often say that Highland Park is the capital of Detroit. Ah, yes, interesting. Mm -hmm. Very interesting. Tell me about your childhood growing up in Highland Park. You know what, man? I can honestly say that I had an amazing childhood. Um, child of a single mom and my grandfather, my, my maternal grandfather, actually took on the responsibility of raising me. And he did an amazing job. You know, my grandfather was a product of the Jim Crow South. And as a result, a lot of the experiences that he had growing up were, I don't want to say given to me, but as an adult, I understand them a lot better. Um, the Great Migration was the largest movement of people not due to a natural disaster in the history of the world. Five million people left the South in search of a better life. And so, I show up in 1973 and Highland Park was thriving. It was an amazing place to grow up. There was a sense of community. You know, everybody on the block, every household was familiar with every other household. And so as a kid, it was, you know, you can't do dirt without getting caught because right. the entire neighborhood was responsible. A village. And so it was a village. Absolutely. And you know, it was a situation where looking back on it is pretty amazing because we would every day we would go swimming every single day and no adults went with us. It would start off with the kid on the furthest end of the block. He would come out. And by the time they got to my house, it was nine or 10 kids. We went two city blocks. We crossed the busiest street in Detroit, which is Woodward Avenue. We would pay 35 cents and we got to swim every day from four to five o'clock at the YWCA. No adults went with us. We went, we swam, we got candy and we came home safely every day for the entire summer. Wow, that's mm -hmm. good old days. 35 cents well spent every day. Every day. Wow, that's amazing. So did you in high school join the swim team? I actually got recruited to the swim team. 14-year-old um, freshman in high school, like most freshmen, I was a typical idiot. And with no experience interacting with females, I would harass the girls. And 
my escape would be to do something annoying, dive in the pool, swim down to the bottom and hold on to the grate because they couldn't come and get me. And in one instance, I came up and there were some white shoes just at the deck. And I look up and it's my physical education teacher. And she oh. just looked down at me and she says, be here in the pool at three o'clock. I'm like, wow. So after school, school let out at 2.45, go down, I change clothes. I walk into the pool at three o'clock and there's nine other guys standing here. And I'm like, wow, a lot of people got in trouble today. <laughs> and she comes out and she says, welcome to the 1987 swim team swimmers in the water and I'm like wait a minute what when did I when did I agree to get on the swim team <laughs> but I must say it was an amazing experience um, it actually allowed me to fire off my competitive juices without having a jump shot and without being able to run fast across the middle and catch a football nice yeah wow so that that translate over into the later years of your high school or like junior senior year did you take on that challenge and continue swimming no I, I swam competitively for two years and then we had a transition in coaching and it was a situation Highland Park wasn't what it once was you know there was there were tax dollars there but those dollars were starting to wane and as a result, we didn't have the finance to keep up the competitive nature of those secondary and tertiary sports. The football stadium was still amazing. We still had the best basketball stadium or basketball gym. You know, those facilities were top notch. But the, the lesser sports, swimming, tennis, golf, those sort of, you know, they, they, were, they were tragically cut as it related to the budget, so. I get it. I mm -hmm. get it. Well, definitely, it seems like you stayed in good health and good shape. So after high school, what direction did you take? So after high school, I did what most people did. Again, I'm a child of a child of the Great Migration. And my grandfather's goals as he left the South were for all of his progeny to have access to a college education. So. I followed that footstep. I wanted to go in the military. I did, I wanted to go in the military. Uh, I took an ASVAB test because I didn't do my homework for Mrs. Hilt's history class. And I aced the test. And so now I've got all these recruiters calling me and they're like, hey, you know, what are you gonna do next year? And I'm like, next year, I'm coming back to the 11th grade. And they're like, wait, you're only in the 10th grade? <laughs> yeah, I'm in the 10th grade, blah, blah, blah. And so now I've got these recruiters on my heels. But my mother wanted me to go to college, so I applied to two schools. I applied to Lawrence Tech University, and I applied to Western Michigan University. I didn't have the courage to apply for the University of Michigan. So I found myself in Kalamazoo, Michigan. It's uh, fall, September of 1991, and it was an amazing experience. Broncos, go Broncos, so WMU, you land on WMU's campus, and what did you major in? At the time, I was majoring in history. I was going to, one of my, one of my great mentors in high school was Dr. Jones, and he was, he was history and social studies teacher, and he, he and I would have these really, really interesting conversations in which he would point to things that are happening that day and he would tie it to the historical significance of things that had happened in the future and so he was one of those people you know you can always reach back and point to those specific moments where your life took a turn yeah and he was one of those people that sort of unknowingly fueled not only my passion for history but my passion for reading as well ah so reading and history so that's a deadly combination i mean yeah you have to uh boy really enjoy different novels fiction nonfiction. so what do you enjoy most reading 
you know what it, it's really interesting because I saw a movie The Hunt for Red October and I thought wow this was an amazing movie and this is you know back before you could jump on the internet and watch a movie so I think I saw it two or three times in theaters and a year or two later the sequel comes out it's called Patriot Games and Harrison Ford is the lead and there's you know this thing all through the movie his wife is pregnant and they're going through all these tragedies and these events and car crashes and shootouts and they're worried about the baby and so at the very end they're on the phone with the doctor trying to discuss whether or not they want to know the sex of the baby and then it just fades to black well I'm sitting there and I'm outraged I'm like well, wait a minute I just gave you two hours of my life and I don't even get to know what they're having <laughs> random random guy two seats over steps over me to leave the theater he sees the look on my face and he's like they had a boy and I'm like dude how did you get that from what we just watched he says I read the book <laughs> and I sat straight up I was like wait this is a book he's like yeah it's a series from this dude named Tom Clancy he's awesome I left the books I left the, the movie theater that day went right to the bookstore and I have been reading ever since wow that's a great yeah, I, I tell people if if you don't like reading you haven't picked up the right book yet you got that right you got that right that's amazing so as you have history love reading how did college finish out for you so i spent two years on campus and the first thing that i discovered is that my high school education was not what it needed to be. That's not a knock on them. Mm -hmm. It's it's more so, it's the nature of the beast. Like there, there are lots of things that we don't know that we don't know. Right. And so the in order to address the deficiency, the first thing you gotta do is identify the problem. Exactly. So, you know, my first year, I kind of, it was sheer force of will. And then you take that next step and I, I fumbled, I fumbled. And I wasn't even across the 50 before I fumbled. I'm not ashamed to say it because I was ill-prepared. Exactly. So, so moving forward, come home, lick my wounds, try to figure out what's next. And in the back of my head, I'm thinking, I need to leave. I need to leave Detroit. So I ended up getting a job with an auto manufacturer, like most people who are in Detroit do. And so now I am going to work every day building parts plants for the big three. Building parts, excuse me. Wasn't a bad way to go. I made money. The opportunity to meet some interesting people and work on some interesting projects but I wasn't happy and so I start having conversations and I met my my best friend he had just come home from the Navy and he and I were having some really really direct conversations and he said it out loud one day at a table full of us he says every black man in America should spend some time in the military because it forces you one out of your comfort zone two it forces you to confront some of the ugliness that is america and three you grow from it so i did what i do i went to the bookstore and i bought a book about what it was like to be in the military it was called boot and it was about marine corps boot camp a little paperback really interesting thing and then i went to my number two go-to Tom Clancy. So what Tom Clancy does, he writes these books and then he writes real world applications to explain what happens in the books. So there's a book on, I'm sorry. That's amazing. Keep it going. Yeah. So there's a book about what it is to work and live on an aircraft carrier. There's a book about how it is to be on a deployment for a nuclear submarine. And there is also a book about how life is when you function in an armored cavalry unit 
so that was the foundation. I read My American Journey by Colin Powell, H. Norman Schwarzkopf's book. So I did research for a year before I went and enlisted. Oh, wow. Then I had to talk to my grandfather and basically get his blessing. And I kind of tricked him into giving it to me because I started the conversation up and I said, Pops, you know, tell me about when you decided to leave the South. And he said, well, you know, I was 12 and I, I didn't want to stay down there. You know, they didn't want me down there. And he was a baby of 14. And he said, so every summer he would venture out and visit another one of his siblings who were older and established. So he went to New York and then he settled on Chicago. And so he, when he went back home, he knew he was leaving home for good. And so he goes home, he helps with the crops. And the following spring, once everything was planted, he told his mother he was going to Atlanta. He needed to catch a bus to Atlanta to get his eyes checked. And he caught a bus to Atlanta, got off of that bus, got on a bus to Chicago, and never looked back. And I asked him, I said, wow, you were 13 years old, you know, third grade education, like, were you afraid? And he says, yeah, I was afraid. But sometimes you have to do what you have to do. Yeah. And I couldn't stay there for my mother. And as soon as he said that, I told him, I said, well, I enlisted in the army and I'm leaving in March. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Dropped the bomb on him. Yeah, but he was supportive. Yeah. Okay, go do what you need to do. And so that's how I ended up in the military. Wow. Amazing story. I mean, you, your comfort zone, you wanted to grow. You did your research. You talked to your grandfather, Tom Clancy, kind of reinforced things. So how did that go for your first year in the service? Okay. So I signed up for four years. My job gave me a leave of absence for four years with an option of four more. So I get to Fort Knox and boot camp. There, there's no book. There's no movie. There's nothing that can prepare you for boot camp. Um, operational tempo is through the roof. And there's a lot of pressure. You know, they, they do it intentionally. And so we are in boot camp learning to be soldiers. And you fast forward, we are about to graduate. Orders are cut. I'm going to Germany. I'm going to link up with a unit that is about to deploy into Bosnia. And an injury that I sustained absolutely derailed my career. Oh, I got a better chance of hitting the lottery twice in one day than ever replicating that incident. Wow. But, uh, I fractured my leg and the resulting pain and my collapse on the other leg damaged that leg as well. So I went from being fully mobile, 100%, totally ambulatory, to a non-ambulatory soldier. And that was it. Wow, so then they did a discharge? Honorable discharge. Um, and again, the growth that I needed was exactly what I got. So now I am 23 years old, back in Detroit, but I learned how to be a student in the military. And again, when, when, when things happen, you can always, always learn something. Right. That's what I tell people about books. If you read a book and you don't come away with two other books to read, you didn't read it right. So I am number one in my class. Injured. Right. But they couldn't just throw me aside. And so they assigned me to work for a company first sergeant as his personal assistant. And so I got the opportunity to, I had to, you know, do whatever he needed, get coffee, 
answer the phones, whatever. But I also got a chance to sit in on some classes that he had to take. And I'd not sit in, but I sat outside by the door. Okay. And while everybody else was reading letters from home or, you know, thumbing through a comic book, I was actually listening. And I learned some amazing tips about how to organize oneself, how to, I learned how to take notes, oddly enough. Most people, when you look at a sheet of paper, they write all the way across the paper. And that is an inefficient way of doing things. What you should do is you should split that piece of paper in half and you should take notes on one half and leave the other half totally blank. Because when you return to study, at some point, you're going to have some material to add. Now you've got a whole half a page of virgin real estate. That's just one of the little things that I learned. And I, I learned how to be a student. Wow, great. Take the smarts. Yeah. I had the smarts, but I didn't know how to do it, if that makes sense. Right. How to do I apply that? Right, right. It's kind of like you and I right now can go to Home Depot and get some paint and we can paint a room. It'll get painted. But when we bring professionals in that know the craft, it looks totally different. Exactly and so I went from being a guy going to Home Depot as a student to really understanding how to study, how to be a student, how to process information and organize. Wow. <laughs> so you mentioned number one in your class. So what were you studying at that point? Well, so at that point, there, there's always, there's a class of recruits that come in and we were studying armored warfare. Okay. There are, there are a series of tests that you have to go through in order to move on to the next level. And I was the only person to operate in a space. It's a, it's a go, no go basically it's a pass or fail test and so i was the only person that did not fail a single test up to that point wow that's amazing you know they're teaching us how to survive and that's not something that you play around with and so for me every class was significant from how to drive and operate the tank to, to be quite frankly, how to stay warm at night in the rain in the middle of nowhere by yourself. Wow, all, all skills needed to survive. Yeah, yeah. Wow, so after your time of discharge, did you do any more schooling or join any other uh, career pursuits. Okay, this is where this is where my life gets really, really interesting. So I come home from Fort Knox, and again, because I was so dialed in to my classes and what my instructors were telling me, I was still operating at a really, really high cognitive level, and I needed to feed my mind. So, the year of 1998, Einstein had his miracle year, 1998 was mine. From January 1, 1998, to December 31st, I read 93 books. Wow, amazing. A miracle year. Now, to be fair, to be fair, I was back in the factory, and I had a job that allowed me to read pretty much all day. I had to sneak and do it because you weren't allowed. <laughs> but I would read. So I got to work. I would arrive at work at 630. And from 630 to 8, I would read two newspapers, cover to cover. I would read the Detroit News and I would read USA Today. Those two got read pretty much every day, cover to cover. Nice. And that's when I would dig into my literature. And I read everything about everything. 
I still have, excuse me, quite a few of those books that I read back then. That's when I first read the autobiography of Malcolm X. I read Roots. Um, I'm a big sports fan. So a book about the life of Joe Lewis came out. I read a book by David Rennick, King of the World, about Muhammad Ali. Yes. I read The Measure of a Man by Sidney Poitier. Uh, just anything I could get my hands on. I actually read Grant Hill's book in one day and I was upset because <laughs> I hadn't planned on, I thought it would take me two days to do. So I didn't have anything to read that Friday. So I had to go to the bookstore. Um, what else? Uh, I read a lot of the classics. Uh, Nico, Niccolo Machiavelli, The Prince. Clausewitz, his treatise on war. Just anything I could get my hands on. I read The Count of Monte Cristo for the first time. Oh, wow. Godfather. Just, and it's an amazing thing. It's sort of like, this is how I explain it to the young kids. If you read a book, that's the equivalent of getting a screwdriver. You got a screwdriver. There's a little bit you can do with it. If you read another book, well, now you got a screwdriver and a hammer. You read another book, now you got a level. Another book, now you got some pliers, and pretty soon you have a, a complete toolkit. Yeah. Because books will connect to each other in really, really unique ways. So, me reading about Malcolm X and then turning around reading about Joe Lewis, well, they were both in Harlem around the same time. And so, when I hear these names and I, and I hear these places, it's like, oh, I know this place because I've already encountered it in another book. Right, you've been there. Yeah. So for me, reading is the skill that unlocks every other skill. It's that simple. So if you can figure out how to enjoy reading, there is nothing beyond your reach. Right. Exactly right about that. Sure. So your background of your military, your history, your reading, did that give you a thirst for more creativity in another profession? Well, can, can you hear me okay? Yes, I sure can. Um, so, again, it's one of those things that I, I look back on and I say, okay, the reality is I didn't know what I wanted to do. But I knew that I needed to look. And as many different opportunities would come my way, I knew what I didn't want. And so it was easier for me to dial it up and keep searching. And I did that until I hit my stride. And when you find your place in the world, oh man, it's a beautiful thing. Yes, sir. Most definitely. Yeah. So what was that? What was that place? Okay. So I am five years removed from coming home and I'd, I'd done some some really really interesting things you know I'd had people at work engineers say you know what you need to come and work for me I would do presentations and I was the production liaison so they would try to come up with new things that could be incorporated onto the assembly line and when they came up with it my job was to go out and test the prototype Yes, it works, but will it work in a real world environment, cycling a thousand times a day? That was my job. I did a pretty good job at it. And, you know, they were, oh, you gotta, you have to go, go to school, get your degree so you can come and work for me. And in my mind, I, and I would always say, I'd say, Mike, why would I go to school to get a job in the plant when I have a job in the plant right now? So, my best friend, that same guy that came home from the Navy, we were sitting around and he says, you know what, the broadcast school is having an open house today. 
And I think I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go and, and check it out. And I, I found out where it was and I'm like, well, this is, you know, this is me, 29 years old. Listen, there's a bar down the street from there. So I'll go to the open house with you and then we can go to the bar afterwards. Okay. I went to the open house and I was very, very impressed. I was impressed and my curiosity was piqued. And then something really funny happened. They're standing up in the middle of this open house presentation and they asked a random piece of trivia. And I wish I remember what it was, but it was some obscure fact about some obscure fact. And again, coming off of my miracle year, 1998, I could reach back like, oh, I know that. I raised my hand and boom got it right and they gave me a t-shirt so I saw that as an as a good omen so I made an appointment to go back and take a tour and at the end of that tour I was sold I was sold this is it this is where I need to be and so I started making preparations to again ne I never move in, in a spirit of haste so I made preparations to enroll the following September. Now, this is November. And so for all of that time, I prepared because the program was 10 months, nine months, 10 months. And so I knew I would be challenged economically. So I started working a lot of overtime. I saved up a ton of money. From January 1st until the 4th of July, I did not take a single day off work. Wow. So when September rolled around, I was ready. My GI Bill kicked in, gave me some, some backbone and I moved forward. And so first quarter, I get in, I'm talking to my instructors. And they're like, and, and I went to school with the attitude that I'm going to pursue whatever I excel at the most. Because the first two session you study radio and TV and I talked to one of my instructors and I bought a camera and I started talking to people and the next thing I knew I was billing $60 an hour shooting anything people would pay me to shoot so I would go to class from 11 to 5 and on weekends and in the evenings, I was driving all over Southeast Michigan, shooting basketball games, shooting audition tapes, shooting whatever. And so now word gets back to the school. Who is this Thornton guy? Why do we keep hearing his name? Oh, he's a first quarter student. Why? Well, because somebody who knows somebody got some footage from him and they thought it was amazing. And they were wondering if he was graduating. They're like, no, he's only been in school for eight weeks. <laughs> wow. But that was one of the advantages of being a fully functional adult. You know, I had money in the bank so I could go out and spend $3,000 $3, on camera. And so now I'm shooting, I'm shooting. Fast forward, I declared I'm doing video. And I'm in class, dialed in because I found my thing. And one of the administrators comes in and they're like, hey, come here for a second. And I'm like, but this is important. And they're like, no, come here, this is important too. I go out and there's a gentleman there from Lansing. And he says, I'm with the Michigan Association of Broadcasters. We would like to present you with an award. And he hands me this piece of paper. And I was like, well, I'm greatly appreciative of this award. And I'm going back to class now. And he says, no, no, that's not the award. That's directions to the award ceremony. Okay. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. Not, nev never even thinking anything of it. Go back to class. I go home. My mom calls. We're talking. Oh, yeah, I got to go to Lansing Monday. What's in Lansing? Oh, they want to give me some awards. Not a big deal. And she says, well, I want to go. And I'm like, mom, it's not a big deal. I'll tell you all about it when I get home. So I drive up to Lansing and I'm waiting with everybody else. And they call my name. I walk through this curtain and there are 400 people there giving me a standing ovation. Oh, nice. So I got an award. It's the, it's the Fritz Award, I believe, for entrepreneurial spirit. 
and industry potential. So I go back to school. It's a huge deal. There's money involved. And again, I, di I didn't know because I'm pursuing my passion. Yeah. Nothing else mattered. This is, this is that thing. So fast forward, maybe four more weeks. I am eight weeks away from graduation. And they come and pull me out of class again. And I'm like, listen, this is a stop. Stop with this. And they're like, no, there's this guy. You got to go talk to him. So I walk in. I had my camera with me because I had a shoot and I carried it. I didn't leave it in the car. And so I go in and I talk to this guy and he's like, yeah, you know, well, we're, they wanted me to talk to you. And we're, we're starting this. Uh, it's a new studio we're going to build. And, you know, we're looking for some people who might be interested in interning and just coming over and, you know, it gives us exposure, it gives you some exposure. We talked for about 20 minutes. I said, okay, well, you know, give me the address and I'll come by. And that was my introduction to broadcast television on that scale. I was interning at, you know, public broadcast, Channel 15 in Southfield. There was a Christian TV station. I was interning. I was their camera guy in the morning for their broadcast. But this was something different. These guys were making maybe 65 to 80 Chevy commercials every single day. Wow. And I'm like, okay, this is something different. So I, I went and interned and, you know, I helped out in the sessions. I did tapes and I did duplication and just whatever they needed. And in exchange for that, I got the opportunity to sit in on record sessions. I got to sit in on editing sessions. I got to ask questions and I got to be in the room. And so now I'm out of school, so I'm no longer eligible to intern. And, you know, I had to go up there and I said my goodbyes. And, um, you know, handshakes all around. It was great having you. Well, thank you for having me. You know, if you guys end up opening up a position, give me a call. And they said, yeah. And in the meantime, if you have some free time, stop by. And so I did that, kept in touch. And three months after graduation, I got a phone call. Hey, we're adding someone. And so that was my exit from automotive manufacturing. And so, and this speaks to passion. I left 80 to $85,000 a year to go and be an assistant making $25,000 a year. And I didn't miss a beat because I had found my passion. Wow. And that's it. Once you're in your passion, you never work a day in your life. That's you it. It's something you love to do. You're giving back. You're fulfilling yourself. That is amazing. So you went from doing national commercials, national spots for Chevy, Cadillac, Ford, Chrysler, and Dodge. Like you started to build a great resume. Was there any other tools that you've learned along the way? Well, again, once you learn how to be a student, the world is your classroom. And so I, I was doing what's called a scratch track, okay? And in, in post-production, a scratch track is just a placeholder voice because you don't want to pay the main voiceover guy ungodly amounts of money to try to get it right. So you, you do these scratch tracks and I, they told me I sounded good. So I hired a voice coach and I started auditioning. I got a couple of nibbles. Um, I did a piece for Eastern Michigan University. I did another piece for a scholarship foundation. And it was cool. It was cool. And then I had a bout of Bell's palsy, which is facial paralysis. I had an audition for a Dodge commercial for the black advertising agency in town. They loved my voice. And they were like, dude, just go do it. You'll get it. And because I had no motor control over half my face, my jaw was flapping and I didn't get it. Oh, so, you know, but I, I still have the skills. 
Um, yeah. you, you never, you never forget certain things. And due to situations and circumstances beyond my control, I ended up losing that position, making the commercials at the, at the studio. I slide over to Channel 4 in Detroit and I'm doing automotive commercials around town. And I was a one-stop shop because back then it was an anomaly to be a shooter who knew how to edit. You, you had either or. But because I was shooting on my own, I had honed that skill. I learned how to edit at work. And so I would go out in the morning, I would shoot the footage, come home or go back to the studio, edit the footage, turn it over. And I was a one man factory. And when the economic downturn hit, the, the depression where all the auto uh, industries got hit and the dealerships closed, that window closed. But, you know, it's about reinventing yourself. So right. I reinvented myself for two years. And then I connected with one of my former instructors from broadcast school, a guy named Kevin Bell out here in Las Vegas. And Kevin told me, he said, dude, with your resume, if you can pass a drug test, I can get you work. And I told him, Kevin, as long as they're not testing me for jelly beans and Swedish fish, I'll pass any drug test. Ah. Right. So I bought a one-way ticket that day, and I've been in Las Vegas ever since. Wow, that's amazing. So you you gained all of this knowledge. You packed your tool belt. You were not only just a dual threat in the shooting and editing, you became this amazing quadruple threat plus more. So did that springboard you into your current ownership of your company now? Yes, yes it did. Um, and to be fair, to be fair, only 35 or 40% of my skill set translated to what I'm doing now, which is live events. But you cannot be passionate. You can't. And on top of that, I had this, this passion fueled by a pretty good work ethic. You know, there are people who are passionate and then there are people who are passionate, who are also naturally curious, who are also able to work long, monotonous hours. You know, I literally watched paint dry when I was in the military. <laughs> that was my job. Come and get us when this room is dry. So so there's nothing too mundane. There's nothing that I cannot, will not do. It's rare that I quote Mike Tyson, but Mike Tyson said one of the most brilliant things I have ever heard. Mike Tyson said, and I quote, I will fight a lion if the money is right. Yeah. And, and that's, that's the attitude that I take into work every day. Wow, that is most definitely amazing and, and great information. I mean, just your knowledge and, and it seems like you just took a, a small pebble and just kept rolling it to a, a ball, to a bigger snowball, to a boulder. It seems like you just kept moving and moving and your passion just kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger. So now with this passion and doing live events, what are some of the places that you've really helped out in Las Vegas? Well, so when I first got here, I was freelancing and I didn't understand that Las Vegas has a cycle. Just like you have four seasons in the world, Las Vegas has its ebbs and flows as well. So when I first got here in March, it took me maybe eight weeks because everybody shows up with this stellar resume. Oh, I can do this. I can do that. So you have to kind of prove yourself. And I went out on a couple of jobs, nothing major, prove myself. And now I'm working. But back then, everything slowed down in the summer because the International Coalition of Nurses is not going to come here in July to have their convention in 120 degree heat. Right. So things slowed down. 
and I was just kind of floating. And I'm like, man, I got to find a job. I got to eat. And so I took a job with a startup company here making revenue generating content for YouTube. And that was something that I always wanted to understand how YouTube worked. So I took the job. I'm working for this local comedian and that carried me through to the summer. And he comes in one day and he says, well, dude, I'm actually going to Croatia for three months to shoot and I don't have the budget to take you. So we got to shut this space down. And I said, cool, because I'm actually going to work at the Venetian for a project that's going to pay me more than you pay me in a week. So awesome. We both win. So now I'm freelancing again. And I had a rhythm that I established because again, that passion. And so I would go and work. And then on the weekends, I would go and post up at Borders or Barnes and Noble or somewhere to have free Wi-Fi because I was still in transition. And I would send out resumes. And this company out of New York got a hold of my resume and she called me and we were actually on the phone for about 15 minutes before I really woke up and realized I was having a conversation. And uh, she's like, hey, we got a position in Las Vegas. You're perfect. We want to interview you. I interviewed twice and I started the job. And the best way to describe it, it was Best Buy on steroids. <laughs> because they rented all the equipment out, my job was to set it up, test it, make sure it works, and then take it out into the field. And so just like when I was at the plant reading eight hours a day, when your job is to tinker with broadcast equipment, video equipment, audio equipment for eight hours a day, you get pretty good. And so I developed a bit of a reputation around town. Uh, you know, and I would hear, I would meet people and they would say, you need to connect with this guy. And do you know this guy? You guys, you know, need to connect. And so I started making these connections. And fast forward, uh, worked there for two more years, left, went, took a full-time job at Mandalay Bay, did that for two years. And at the end of that two years, I'm like, okay, it's time. It is time. And so I saved up some money. And I said, you know what, it's time. I'm gonna start my own company. My name is significant enough. Um, and, and my philosophy is really, really simple. Um, when we set up a show, just build it right the first time. Build it right the first time. It minimalizes the likelihood that something will fail. The next thing is rapid response. If something fails, jump in get it fixed because these people are spending a lot of money to be here and that's you know that's paramount and then the last thing is just be professional you know you have a lot of guys who are really really smart but they're not very professional i had a guy show up on a show two weeks ago with sandals on oh it's like come on dude you're in a major las vegas hotel and casino you should be show ready when you show up. Yes. On the other side, you have guys that are super, super professional that can't turn on a light. And so by straddling both those worlds, I think I have created a nice balance. Oh, so, most definitely. Yeah. Most definitely. Now you have just such a pedigree, such a great resume great story from childhood, military, college, after military, all of your experience, and now you have a live events, shows that you do in a company that you've brought up, and your do it right the first time, fix it as needed, and be professional, those three, that's a, a, an amazing mission statement that any company that needs your work should adopt and see. Absolutely. So Absolutely. where can folks find your business, your contact information for your social media and website information? Okay. Well, uh, my website is www 
vonshea.com. And I am also on LinkedIn, uh, Von Thornton. I'm on LinkedIn. I'm not there as much as I would like, but I do check it very, very regularly because I, I have lots of people that communicate with me that way. Um, so yeah, I am available. I am always eager to talk to people who are curious and I am a trade school guy, you know, like I, I, I'm proud to say that there are lots of people who, for whatever reason, look down on trade schools, but I'm a trade school guy. I'm proud of it. It has allowed me to do and go places that I wouldn't have been able to do because again, college, the university, it wasn't really for me at that time. I'm sure I could go back and thrive now, but at this point, I'm, I'm set. I'm looking at Costa Rica in 20 years. Oh, most definitely. Most definitely. You became your expert through the way that you needed to based on all of your trials and tribulations. So that is amazing. Ladies and gentlemen, as I told you when we first got on, that I had a very fascinating story from one of the top audio video directors in the land. I was not joking. So again, I would like to thank, thank, thank you, Von, for coming on the show today. Thanks for having me, man. I've been listening to your podcasts myself, and uh, I'm just glad to be a part of it. I appreciate that from the heart, definitely. Well, this wraps up today's show, Sound by Brown. Next week, join me as I have former pro boxer, IBO super featherweight champ, Jeff Mayweather, one of the Mayweather family members will be on next week. So until then, be well, eat well, and take care of yourself. Good night.